So this week we're in James again, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, and I've titled this Patient Endurance in Trials. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, thank you for your word and especially for this message that we're going to hear today. It goes against everything that our sinful nature wants. We desire comfort. God wants us to seek him in the trial. So, Lord, help us to walk according to your spirit and not according to our flesh. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week we started going through the book of James and we looked at its background and a brief overview of James, the brother of Jesus' life. And I've got a good overview from Warren W. Wearsby that sums up the book. This will help us get the big picture again, remind us what we did last week. So it says, The Epistle of James is a practical book that discusses living the faith. It contains echoes of the Sermon on the Mount and the Book of Proverbs, both of which are practical. If we truly practice our faith, it will be seen in how we face trials, in chapter 1, in the way we treat people, in chapter 2, in what we say, in chapter 3, and in how we deal with sin in our lives, chapter 4, and in our prayer life, chapter 5. So, I thought it was really good how you can see the different chapters giving you a different way of applying wisdom in each part of our lives. How we face trials, which we're going to start today. How we treat people in chapter 2 and what we say in chapter 3, our tongue. How we deal with sin and temptation in chapter 4 and our prayer life finally in chapter 5. So we've got a lot to look forward to. So this week we continue in chapter 1 and now here's a big picture for the next couple of weeks. So basically, verses 1 to 11 talk about the wisdom of God. Why do we need wisdom? Well, we need wisdom in our trials so that we don't waste our suffering. Okay, We don't waste our suffering and we miss the spiritual growth that should result. There's nothing worse than missed opportunity. You know, when you buy a ticket for something, but then you, you can't get there and you waste that ticket. You know, it's just a waste of time. And it's like a, a wasted trial. God gives us a ticket for growth, but we don't turn up. <laughs> and then you've got to do it again. So if we trust God, then the trials will work for us and not against us. But we must be sure that our hearts are fully yielded to God. If our hearts and minds are divided, then the trials will tear us apart. And so we'll just read verses 1 to 8 to get the context, and then we'll jump in. So, James chapter 1, 1 to 8. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, patient endurance in trials, verses 2 to 4. So just read those verses again, verses 2 to 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So, as I said last week, these are good verses to memorize. And to bring to mind when you start going through hard times. So, my brethren, who's he talking to? The Messianic Jews. And yes, it does apply to us too. We're also believers. Counter all joy when you fall into various trials. So, the word I'm focusing on here is when. It's not if you fall into trials, but when you fall into trials, they are a part of life. God uses trials to cause us to grow in our joy, faith, hope, and love for him. So the promise of trials is repeated in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And then there's Jesus' words in John 16.33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, notice the two words there in John 16.33. In me you may have peace, and in the world you will have tribulation. You see the difference? Jesus doesn't say, in me you will have peace. Why is that? It's because that's conditional. That depends on how we react to the trial, yeah? If we choose to live by faith, then we will experience his peace. But if we choose not to respond by faith and we run away from the trial, then we will not have his peace. But no matter how we react, the trials will come. But the good thing is, Jesus has already overcome the world, and that means our trials are already overcome too. We are overcomers in him. Now, trials, I just want to break this down. There's three main ways that we can experience trials. Firstly, there are difficult circumstances like health issues. You might have a mental health issue or something like that, or depression. You might have financial issues. You might have relationship or family issues. Secondly, there are the temptations to sin and the consequences of our sin. And thirdly, there is a persecution that we will suffer as believers if we are actually living as believers. And moving on to counter all joy. So, joy in trials? How does this work? Well, it's not that we enjoy the trials, okay? <laughs> we don't have to enjoy the hard times we're going through. But rather, we look forward to the benefit of the trial and experiencing God's strength and his power working through us in the trial. And James describes the first benefit of trials as being patience, which means having endurance, the ability to persevere, to be steadfast. And this then leads us to becoming integrated, as we talked about last week, as opposed to fractured meaning broken. Yeah, We are either whole, complete, or we're broken, we're fractured. And that's what that word perfect there means, whole and complete. In other words, we become more like Jesus, which is glorious. And we'll find out more about that as we go. Now, before we get into the nitty-gritty of verses 2 to 4 and get the application from it, I want to show you that this theme of joy in trials is throughout the Scriptures. 
So a couple of ones that you'll recognize. Uh, Romans 8, verses 28 to 29. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, here we are told that everything, yes, even the trials, work for our good. And what is the good? Is it to be blessed, like financially and health benefits and all that kind of stuff? No, it's not about that. The answer is that we become more like Jesus, become more perfect, mature, complete. Then another one is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. And it says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, God has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Sounds great. We're saved. Standing in grace is a place of undeserved privilege. And then he continues, we can rejoice too when, again, when, not if, right? We run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And that endurance is the same word as in James chapter 1, verse 3. It's translated there as patience. We'll talk about that word later. And endurance develops strength of character. And that's similar to the idea of being complete, okay? And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Now, notice here that trials don't lead to disappointment, but rather hope and love as what? We confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Definitely got his eyes on the future, yeah? On the eternal, on the heavenly. So, count it all joy. Going back to James chapter 1, verse 2. So it's important we have the right perspective about trials, whether it be temptations to sin, being persecuted for our faith, or just general difficult circumstances. When we have a reason for doing something, we have hope, then it all becomes worthwhile and much easier to endure. So here are some examples to try and make this point. Okay, What does it mean to count it all joy? So consider a woman who is pregnant and about to give birth. She's in labor. Now, some questions for you. When she got pregnant, was she looking forward to the labor? <laughs> no. Is she enjoying the pain caused by the contractions? <laughs> no. Does she enjoy being extremely uncomfortable and exhausted? No. Is she looking forward to the final minutes of excruciating pain as she pushes the baby out of her? Definitely not. But within her, she has a deep-seated joy and a confident hope and expectation that no amount of pain or agony can overcome. Her baby will soon be delivered. And at that moment, during those painful hours, that's what she's thinking about. That's what keeps her going. That's her focus, yeah? And then when the baby is finally delivered and she is holding him in her arms, she has no regrets about the ordeal of childbirth and, surprise, surprise, will willingly go through it again and again for future children. So this is an example of counting it all joy. 
of actually looking forward to the trial while not actually enjoying the trial. Does that make sense? Because you know the beautiful fruit or ultimate good that will come from the trial. Now another example is Jesus' agony, both physical, spiritual and emotional, in the hours leading up to the cross and on the hours on the cross. And what kept him going? Well, Hebrews 12, 1-4 tells us it was the joy set before him. So we'll read those verses. Hebrews 12, 1-4 Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, remember all these people counted it all joy, yeah? Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Okay, notice that? Count it all joy. This is what Jesus was doing. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honour beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. So what was the joy that Jesus was looking to? What were his motivations for going through all that suffering on the cross, having the wrath of God poured out on him? or the penalty for our sins. Well, firstly, it would be that he would be pleasing the Father, and he would soon be back with the Father, sitting at his right hand. Secondly, there was a strong desire of the Godhead, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to be back in fellowship with mankind. The only way for that to happen would be through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, making it possible for anyone who chooses to repent and believe to come back into God's family. So I want you to notice here that in both examples of women in labor and with Jesus on the cross, the trial was only temporary. Okay, remember that. The trials are only temporary. And now to put that in context, we must remember that our lives are also only temporary. Yeah? The Bible describes our lives as a vapor or a flower of the field, which will soon wither away. So get this. Even if the trial lasts our whole life, it is still very temporary. (laughs) Even if the trial lasts our whole life, it is still very, very temporary in the light of eternity. Now, consider what Paul had to say about our trials in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. He said, That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And (laughs) I love Paul's perspective. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. He was going through trials his whole life. He didn't stop going through trials. And listen to some of the trials that Paul endured 
and see if you could say with Paul that our present troubles are only small. This is how Paul described his trials in 2 Corinthians 11, 23-28. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times with that number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have travelled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. There's a guy at work who has this saying, you know, you need to drink a cup of concrete so you can harden up. I love it. We're so soft, I think, as Western Christians. We don't really know what suffering means. Now, what kept Paul going? His eternal perspective. And in the light of eternity, the trials were only temporary and they were very small. If we don't have our eyes in eternity, then they will not seem temporary and they will not seem small. They're going to overwhelm us. So let's read those verses in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 again. And understanding what his troubles were and how long they were actually lasting, let's put it all into perspective again. So 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So, let's come back to James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, when you fall into... Now, we don't go looking for trials. We don't say, God, please give me trials. <laughs> they just come unexpectedly. We fall into them. Now, application here, we must always be ready, always walking close to the Lord, feeding on the word, being in prayer, enjoying fellowship, always having our eyes fixed on the heavenly and eternal things, always looking to the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ. It's Titus 2.13. Because if we are ready, if we are walking close to the Lord, then we will overcome the trial. Because we're walking in faith, yeah? But if we are not ready, if we are not prepared, if we are not walking closely with the Lord, then the trial will overcome us. We will fail. So we must always be ready. And so in this sense, the trials actually test our faith to see if it is genuine or not. And so we're going to come back to that point soon. It also says in verse 2, various trials So what this means is that the trials come in all shapes and sizes, all different kinds. You know, for me, sometimes the more difficult trials are easier to get through 
because I'm more likely to ask for God's help than if it's only something small. And that small thing, when I don't ask for God's help, will trip me up. And often a trial will come from an unexpected source. Well, I didn't think that person would do that, or I didn't think that person would say that about me, or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, sometimes the trials will come from an unexpected source, and so we need to be vigilant, because our enemy, the devil, seeks to devour us. First Peter 5.8 Now we come to this word, patience, which was also that word we read about in Romans chapter 5, um, endurance. So, a quote from David Guzik here. He says that patience is the ancient Greek word hupomone. This word does not describe a passive waiting, but an active endurance. It isn't so much the quality that helps you sit quietly in a doctor's waiting room, as it is the quality that helps you finish a marathon. The ancient Greek word hupomone comes from hupo, under, and meno, to stay under, or to stay, abide, or remain. So at its root, it means to remain under. So it has the picture of someone under a heavy load and choosing to stay there instead of trying to escape. So I'll say that again. It's the picture, this word patience, is the picture of someone under heavy load and choosing to stay there instead of trying to escape. So often these Greek words have pictures attached to them. That's the picture for this word. Now, I don't know about you, but my natural desire is to what? Escape the load, to relieve the pressure, to live a comfortable life, free of anything that would cause discomfort. And guess what? That's the motivation, that's the desire of our sinful nature, is to be comfortable, to be free from any kind of distress or discomfort. And it's important to remember that this is a temptation that we all face when going through a hard time. My sinful nature will do anything it can to be rid of the thing that causes me the discomfort whether it's being tempted to sin, being persecuted for my faith, or going through difficult circumstances. So, what does escaping the trial or burden or heavy load look like? What does it mean to not have patience? Well, let's take one attribute or one way we can face a trial, and that is a temptation. So, what does it look like? Well, instead of resisting sin, we choose to sin so that we will no longer have to battle the temptation. So I'll say that again. Instead of resisting sin, we choose to sin, so that we will no longer have to battle the temptation. We get out from under that heavy load. We are like the well-equipped but poorly motivated Afghan National Army, <laughs> dropping their weapons and running for their lives when the poorly equipped but highly motivated Taliban army moves in. Okay, so if you've been watching the news, you know what I mean by that. We are very well equipped. But sometimes we're not very motivated. But sometimes we want to escape, yeah? We don't have the right heavenly, eternal focus. And we drop our weapons and we run. So we all know how hard it is to continue to strive against sin. 
how sin, the temptation, can wear us down, and how easy it is to simply cave in to the desires of our sinful nature. And this, even though we have been given everything we need to overcome the desires of a sinful nature. And you can reference Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. So what we need is more of this attribute called patience, this hypomone, the virtue that will give us the strength to endure or persevere. So our patience or endurance, this hypomone, is like a muscle that needs exercising. The more we choose to submit to God and obey Him, choosing to remain under the heavy load according to his will, then the more able we are to submit and obey, we will get stronger. Now, persecution. What does it look like to run away, to release the pressure? Well, with persecution, we will compromise our faith to avoid being persecuted. This means we will no longer stand up for what we know is right. We will compromise. Remember that the wicked can only prosper when the righteous stay silent. Now the third type of trial is difficult circumstances. And I've summarized this as we will also do just about anything and be willing to go to extreme lengths to avoid any difficult circumstances. Now some practical examples here. Many choose to get divorced to escape the burden of the difficult marriage. Many Christians choose divorce instead of remaining under that heavy load and walking by faith. They choose to get out of that difficult marriage, to get out of the pressure, to release the pressure, to get out of that discomfort. What about those who are experiencing financial pressure? Well, they'll cheat or they'll steal, you know, cheat in the taxes and things like that, to ease their financial pressure. Many take drugs or alcohol or pursue various pleasures like movies and TV and gaming to escape the stresses and burdens that life put on us. Again, we all want out from the heavy load that threatens to crush us. But we must always remember this. The heavy load will never crush us. It will only make us stronger. And Jesus gives us his promise in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And I used to like this promise. I don't anymore. Because look at the last two words. So that you can endure. Not that you can escape. Not that you can get out from under the pressure. So that you can remain in the pressure. Okay. The way out is not actually a way out as we would like it to be. In the sense that this is an end to our suffering or temptation or persecution. Rather, it's a promise that we will be given the strength to endure, to bear up under it. Again, the way out here is actually defined as the ability not to escape the burden, to release the pressure, the discomfort, but instead to bear or endure the burden for as long as God allows it and as hard as he allows it to press down on us. So basically, we can either choose to stay under the heavy load, whatever form it may take, and develop endurance or strength of character to become whole, mature, integrated and complete, 
Or we can run from it and remain weak, seeking our own comfort and pleasure above everything else. So, just to put this into perspective, I'm so thankful that Jesus chose to stay under his burden, to keep bearing his heavy load of persecution, trials and temptation. Hebrews 12.4 tells us that Jesus resisted to the point of bloodshed in his striving against sin. For Jesus, the temptation to avoid the cross, to avoid suffering the wrath of God, was the heaviest of all burdens. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweated blood, great drops of blood fell from his face, or from his forehead probably. Satan, in his temptation to Jesus, gave him a way out. Just worship me, I'll give you everything. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to endure what God has called me to endure. And remember, we'd all be damned to hell if he didn't go through with that. So, summary for this section. Do you now see why patience or endurance are so important? It's the quality or attribute that is developed in us that gives us endurance and perseverance to run the race. This marathon that we call the Christian walk. It's a quality that helps us to say, continue to say no to sin, to bear up under the load of constant temptation. It's the quality that helps us to endure persecution for the sake of the gospel. It's the quality or attribute this character attribute that gives us the strength to bear up under difficult circumstances, whether it be bereavement, sickness, physical pain, betrayal, financial difficulties, or shattered dreams. So with patience or endurance, the hippomone, we will keep fighting for our marriage and not quit and get a divorce. So hang in there, guys. Now in verse 3, it says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So it's important to understand that faith is tested through trials, not produced by trials. And that's a common misconception. The purpose of trials is to reveal what faith we do have. Not because God doesn't know how much faith we have, but so that our faith will be evident both to ourselves and to those around us. Think about Job. God made it very clear to Satan and all his friends that Job had faith. And trials I've compared to an x-ray, an x-ray of our faith. They reveal what is going on on the inside of us. Just like, you know, if you've got a sore leg, you don't know if the bone is broken or not from looking from the outside. You have to get an x-ray, right? So it's the same with a trial. How do you tell if someone is walking, if a person is walking by faith until they go through a trial? If they're walking by faith, if they have faith in God and they're growing in faith, then they will be able to endure the trial. So is their faith strong or is it weak? Because anyone can praise God in the good times, but what happens to us when things get tough? Do we throw in the towel, seeking to get out? from or escape the burden or load that God has allowed for our good? Or do we willingly remain under it, trusting God, both God's love and his sovereignty or control over all circumstances? Now, 
this is really important, so listen carefully. All circumstances are of God, okay? Even the bad ones. God is in complete control. And you say, so is God the author of evil? No. Well, I kind of think of it this way. God allows Satan certain freedoms, like in the book of Job. But Satan is always on a leash. Satan can only hurt or tempt us as much as God allows him to. And that applies to other people around us and the events that we go through, right? So always take comfort from the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 10, 29-31 about how our loving Heavenly Father exercises absolute control over our circumstances. So, Matthew 10, 29-31, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Again, what's the point here? Well, God cares about the sparrows, but he cares much more about us. So therefore, do not fear. If God can look after the sparrows, and there's millions in all those birds, you know, what about us? We are cared for with a greater degree of concern. God has a greater degree of concern for us than he does the birds. Therefore, we can be very confident that he will look after us. And do not fear. Just focusing on these words, do not fear. In 1 John 4, 18-19, it talks about fear versus love. Okay, So 1 John 4, 18-19. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So we must keep ourselves in the love of God, so we will not be tormented by fear. If we are experiencing fear, it can only be because we are, why? Doubting God's love for us and or, his sovereignty or control over all creation. Okay, If we're fearing a circumstance, either we're doubting one of these two things, A, that God loves us, or B, that he has the ability to control the circumstance. Yeah? So no matter what our circumstances, persecutions, or temptations, we must never doubt both that God is in complete control of all our circumstances and that God loves us and is for us. Therefore, logically, his plan for our lives is always the best plan for our lives. It is always for our good, even if we can't see or understand what that good is. Now we come to the words where it says the testing of your faith in verse 3. Again, it's our faith that is tested. But why does God want to test our faith? Well, only important and precious things are tested so thoroughly. And faith is one of those things. And we find that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Meaning your whole life, right? <laughs> These trials will show that your faith is genuine. That you're growing in faith, yeah? That your faith is in Christ, not in anything else. 
because it's real easy to put your faith in other things, yeah, other people, in yourself. Your faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Spurgeon says about faith, he says, Faith is as vital to salvation as the heart is vital to the body. Hence, the javelins or darts of the enemy are mainly aimed at this essential grace. So now we ask the question, if trials do not produce faith, then what does? How do we grow in our faith? Well, Romans 10, 17. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. God promises to supernaturally build our faith in him as we hear, understand, and trust in God's word. So the more we read God's promises, and meditate on them, chew on them, digest them, the more they become a part of us. And our faith grows. That's it. It's as simple as that. So, the last part here, bitter or better, is our response to the trial, where it says in verse 3, uh, produces patience. Okay, Because not every trial is going to produce patience. We are either going to become better because of the trial or bitter because of the trial. And David Guzik puts it well. Trials don't produce faith, but when trials are received with faith, it produces patience. Yet patience is not inevitably produced in times of trial. If difficulties are received in unbelief and grumbling, trials can produce bitterness and discouragement. This is why James exhorted us to count it all joy. Counting it all joy is faith's response to a time of trial. So if you want to know how much faith you have, the barometer or the thermometer for faith is joy. Count it all joy. The, the measure of your faith will determine the measure of your joy as you go through the trial. And then it says, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And this is not what you want to hear. Let patience have its perfect work. Okay, It's going to take time. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take a lifetime. <laughs> there is no way to cheat. You will have to go through the trials to develop this patience. Okay, To develop this attribute, this strength of character, this character trait where you will be willing to stay under that pressure, to endure the discomfort. Willingly putting your trust in God. So like when we plant a seed, we must allow the flower, the time to grow and come to full bloom if we are to enjoy its beauty, yeah? Put the seed in the ground, you water it, you fertilize it, and it will eventually come to full bloom. It doesn't happen overnight. I love what Spurgeon says as he reflects on his trials. I have looked back 
to times of trial with a kind of longing, not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I have felt it then, to feel the power of faith as I have felt it then, to hang upon God's powerful arm as I hung upon it then, and to see God at work as I saw him then. As I say that again, I have looked back to times of trial with a kind of longing, not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I have felt it then, to feel the power of faith as I have felt it then, to hang upon God's powerful arm as I hung upon it then, and to see God at work as I saw him then. (laughs) Think of Daniel in the lion's den. Think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Remember Jesus was with them? So I'm going to finish with some words from Isaiah to encourage and exhort us. Isaiah 40, 28-31 Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He's in control, yeah? Neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So, like Spurgeon and many others, like in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame there, the Faith Hall of Fame, we can turn to God, trust in God, and experience His power and His presence and His joy in our lives and His peace, yeah? So I encourage you to trust God's promise that he will be with us in the trials. So I'm going to finish with Isaiah 43, 1-3. So as you're going through your trials, remember that we're not going through them alone. Okay. I haven't got it in the notes there, but one of my favorite verses is in Isaiah. I can't remember the reference, but it says, In all their afflictions, he was afflicted. So he went through those trials. He experienced those trials like they did. He was afflicted just like they were. But here is Isaiah 43, 1-3. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Again, remember, it's not if, but when, yeah? So, why do we have this confidence? Because I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. So, Father, thank you, Lord, that you are our Saviour. You have freed us from the penalty of sin. You've freed us from the power of sin and you're changing us to become more like you. And one day you're going to free us from the presence of sin where we get our glorified body and we no longer have a sinful nature. So Lord, we look forward to the changing that you're going to do in our lives and we understand that it's through trials that you will change us and grow us to become more like you. Even Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered, it says in Hebrews. So, Lord, help us to be willing to 
submit to you, to endure the trials, and to experience joy as we look ahead to the glorious future, to the glorious reward that we will receive. Not just as a reward, but Lord, the change in us, it's all worth it. So we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Keep our eyes on you, we pray. Amen.